Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day, and we thank You that on this day we, Your people, who rest in Christ, may gather in worship of You. This is indeed a privilege as we celebrate uh, we who are created in Your image, created to glorify and enjoy You forever, who have been redeemed in Christ, that we, Your people, may gather and praise Your name. And part of that praise includes looking to Your Word, for Your Word is inerrant, inspired, infallible, and given to us that we may know Your will. So we pray today that Your Holy Spirit would use Your Word to guide and direct us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about our topic today, uh, mainly because when I began uh, putting together all of the different topics and organizing this study uh, in the beginning, I really had just sort of glossed over uh, the uh, term of understanding. And if you are like me, it's probably one of those words that I'm so used to reading in the Proverbs that I may not stop and uh, give proper credence to it. And as I began to study this word, I found that A, I didn't understand it fully, and B, that by understanding it and looking and diving into it more deeply, especially topically, I think it just makes the word come alive. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for us to dig into this, and I think the best way to approach this word of understanding is to just look at it in a few different places uh, where it is used. However, if we want to just take this moment to stop and to regard the loveliness of my granddaughter. Uh, uh, because I'm going to. I'm just going to stop and I'm just going to look at her because she is indeed lovely. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, she knows it. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I don't even know what we were talking about. Does it, does it really matter? Uh, well, it does. It does. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and I'm just going to read these six verses, and then I want to pull out for you a, a couple of things that I think are, are helpful for us to note. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And one who understands, obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, there are several different places in this passage, these six verses. Uh, each of these uh, use, uh, in terms of the word understand or understanding, each of the uses are a Hebrew verb. To understand words of insight, understands there is a verb. Let the one who understands guidance. And then finally, to understand a proverb. And I think that this is especially important, and this is what really jumped out at me when I began studying this to teach it, is this word is one of the key points of the whole book of Proverbs. And 
It is a technical and pragmatic term, and what I mean by that is, and I think I've made my point at this point since we've been studying this now for a year, that Proverbs is not a book that you just pick up like a like a, a, a token mystery novel and just read. You have to know what a proverb is. Then you have to be able to read it. And then you have to understand the special nuances of the literature. If you don't, Proverbs can be very dangerous. As I said in the very beginning, if all of a sudden you start reading Proverbs as promises, you can get whacked out in a hurry. If you don't know how to read the literary nuances of a Hebrew proverb, it just sounds like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, doesn't it? And so part of our task as Christians is to know God's Word, and part of that means we got to understand the different forms of literature. One of the points, and I'll just ramble for just a moment to say, one of the things that uh, students who go to seminary uh, are taught, or let me say should be taught, I'm not sure that they're always taught this, is the importance of understanding genres of literature. I mean, for example, we don't read Romans like we do Revelation. If we do, Revelation becomes really, really bizarro. You can't read Proverbs like you read Genesis. You can't read Genesis like you do the Psalms. You can't read the Psalms like you do the Prophets. You can't read the Prophets like you do the Gospels, and so forth and so on. And so one of the important things for us to note is we need to be good students of biblical literature, and part of that means understanding the genre, and part of that means, and here I'm back to the word understands, we got to understand not only what a proverb is, we've got to understand how to read one. And maybe I should have moved this to the very beginning of this study, right? Just to really emphasize this. But I think by the way that we have walked through these, by now you're, you're aware. You, you've got to stop and you've got to really drill in and understand the nuances of this. The second passage that I want to draw to your attention is Proverbs chapter 2. So we've gone from the first six verses of chapter 1. Now I want to look at the first six verses of chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, noun, not verb. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as, hidden, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand, verb the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now, the Hebrew verb translated understand, which we saw in the first six verses, is now used in this, we might call this a secondary introduction to the book of Proverbs, or perhaps an elaboration of what we're looking for uh, within this passage. These next six verses, we now see that the noun form of that verb, and the, the two words in Hebrew are related. Uh, it's just like when, when we use that in the English language, uh, we say to understand would be the verb or the infinitive form of the verb, and understanding would be the the noun form. Well, it's, it's very similar uh, that way in Hebrew. The noun here, inclining your heart to understanding, raising your voice 
for understanding. You will understand the fear of the Lord. Verb, the Lord gives understanding. And so, in a sense, that which we are to understand, which is prescribed for us in the first six verses of the first chapter, now in the second chapter, we have already developed into doing what we are to do. We are to understand, we are to gain understanding, right? The Hebrew word for understanding here, tavan, comes from the verbal root of ben or bayan, meaning to understand. But the deeper meaning, and this is where I'm going with this, the deeper meaning of this word can be found in a related verbal root, bana, which means to build. Now think about this just a second. Think about building a house. That's the root word of both of these words, both the verb form and the noun form. In order to build or construct something, one must have the, think about it, the ability to plan, to understand the processes needed. You don't go out and frame your house before you have a foundation poured, right? So you understand the plans, you understand the processes, and this is the idea behind the verb to understand, it's der- and it's derivative noun, understanding. In other words, when we hear the words understanding, it is not wrong, and, and by the way, in, in biblical literature, uh, the study of root words is a dangerous thing. Um, I've seen many a Christian go back in the New Testament and try to go back to the root of a word and come up with some really, really weird, weird interpretations. It's dangerous. But when used properly, especially in the right place, and the scholars have done the hard work for us, sometimes a root analysis can be helpful, and it's very helpful here. Because when you hear the Hebrew word translated in English to understand or understanding, you can think, huh, part of that includes planning and processes. I need to understand how something is planned, I also need to understand how it all comes together. Now, let me give you a great, uh, hold that question just a second. I want to give you a great proverb to think about while I'm giving you this analogy of construction. Proverbs 24.3, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. Hebrew scholars say, and we don't pick up on this in English, Hebrew scholars say this is almost a humorous play on words because the sage here is using the idea of building a house and then he turns around and uses a similarly related word to talk about it figuratively. Understand and understanding is the figurative version of constructing. And so, by wisdom a house is built constructed by understanding, or we could say by the figurative use of, under, of construction, it is established. Yes? Uh, Robert, I mean, Exodus 31, 3, when God gave Moses uh, these two men to help build the tabernacle, he looked at Gideon as the spirit of God. Yeah, Bezalel. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? It helps us fit together in His special gifting of exactly what God had prescribed and how He was to apply it. And so part of this really becomes helpful because... Now, now I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, so get ready. I'm a professional at this. Um, Sometimes in biblical literature, understanding can be used as a synonym for wisdom. So you, you, in, a, in a technical, poetic reading of certain texts, you have to be able to discern and not read too much into it. Um, and, and, and I wish I could give you an example of this. When I come across one, I'll, I'll point it out to you. But when the sage is waxing poetic, um, you, you, you don't make it into a, like diagramming a sentence in grammar. Um, you, you, just, you just flow with it. You know, it's, it's just poetry, and he's trying to teach you a truth from this truism. But in its technical sense, and we see that in chapter 1 of Proverbs and also in chapter 2 of Proverbs, in a technical sense, he is meaning a distinction. He means that it's not just to have wisdom, it's to have the practical side of it as well. In other words, I don't, not, not only do I understand the concept in, in my mind and heart, but I also understand how it fits together. You've heard me in here talk about God's economy, how God has designed things, and how, how God has designed things. They always work that way. Governments can rise and fall. Culture can rage and acquiesce. On and on and on. You can all these examples that we get all jacked up about as human beings. God's economy doesn't change. And part of that understanding is understanding how God works, how He's designed things. We understand how things work in a planning perspective. We understand how those work out. And incidentally, the perfect example of this is really not as much construction as it is the agricultural examples that just run throughout Scripture. Agriculture is the perfect metaphor in biblical terminology because in agriculture... That's how God's economy works. And so we see this, and by the way, I think now, as you guys are all becoming very good students of the Proverbs, you're now starting to see this, right? I mean, how many times do the Proverbs introduce to us agricultural examples? So in this discerning the processes of construction, the figurative sense of that, we discern God's economy, how things fit together according to God's design. All right, let, let's dig into this and look at this more closely. And I want to start with a couple of questions. And the first, this is, a, this is a gimme question, so you're going to have to get the, the answer to this. Who is the source of understanding and who is not? Who is the source of understanding and who is not? Well, you're immediately thinking, I didn't need the Proverbs to answer that, John. I know God is the source And I also know that the other people in this room, other than me, are not the source, right? It's a joke. You can laugh. Uh, But a couple of Proverbs hit this straight on. But we're going to pause for just a second. I do want to point out that not only is she lovely, she also has awesome little cowboy boots on today. So, but... All right, Proverbs 3.19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. Uh, Well, now, doesn't that deeper, richer understanding of understanding now make that come alive? 
By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. Now, this is, an, this is a, a proverb, incidentally, where the sage is poetically using these terms as synonyms. So don't, don't get too carried away in, in trying to think through that. It's trying to convey one conceptual truth. What's the one conceptual truth? Okay, what's the secondary conceptual truth? The secondary one is, you didn't make this place. It wasn't your design. And if all of this happened just by chance, then we should be worshiping chance, right? I mean, this is brilliant. And there's only one who could do it. And how did he do it? Well, he did it by his wisdom because he is all wise and he did it by his understanding in that he created things precisely how he wants them to work and they always work that way. I mean, if you think about this, if, you, if any of you did any study in, in the classics or, or, the, or the liberal arts, you had to study a little bit of Greek mythology. And if you'd studied any of that, and if you, any of you can just remember back to your, your, your school days of, of some of that Greek mythology, how contrary this idea is to the concept of the Greek and Roman gods who committed incest and adultery and killed one another and uh, were constantly holding grudges to one another and all of these different, these different uh uh, ideas of what the gods, who the gods are, and what they do, is so contrary to the idea that there is one God. He has designed, He has created and designed things perfectly, and according to His perfect design, we don't have to worry about Him being capricious. He is the unchanging God. Somebody had their hand up over here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And there, there's a balance to that, isn't there? I mean, we're, we're not called to be deterministic as if, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just never know how a rainbow is formed. God just did it. Well, it, it's okay to, to, to know how scientifically, how to explain the formation of a rainbow. That, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a brilliant thing. Um, but, yeah, to your point, I mean, and, and I think I've said this before, uh, the, the first time that I read Calvin's Institutes, one of the words that kept jumping off the page that I'd never expected to be there was the word mystery. Uh, you know, one of our forefathers in the faith was very comfortable in, in the, the area of, of mystery. Now, to be clear, Calvin could go down the road and then down the road and around the world to go down the road to come back to go down the road. So it's not that he didn't exhaust every turn that he could make uh, in his study of Scripture, but at some point, to J.D.'s point, at some point we just have to rest 
that there are some uh, mysteries. This does not, however, keep us from seeking to understand. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own, everybody at one time, understanding. Yeah, and, and many of us have, have, have known this verse. I would imagine a number of us have memorized this verse or heard it so frequently we can now quote it. And yet, if you think about it in, in terms of understanding, if I think about how, and I'm now going to use the construction analogy, if I think about the way that I live my life and it's built on my plans and my processes, I'm going to be a real frustrated boy, am I not? I am often a very frustrated boy. Why? Because I make my plans and ah, my plans don't always work out. And I have the way in my mind that I think that the world is supposed to work. How often am I right? When I'm not submitted to, to, to God's Word and will, often the way that I think things are supposed to work out just aren't simply the case. And so this is just a call, a cry even, for us to not base how we live our lives on our understanding, our plans, our processes, but rather to trust the Lord with all of our heart, for He knows best. So, how does God convey this understanding? I mean, I feel like to a certain extent, you're like, okay, this sounds like a sales pitch, John. I get it. Understanding good, not understanding bad. Um, so uh, it feels like I've, I've, made, I've made a pitch, so to speak, uh, and I don't intend it that way. But practically speaking, how does God convey His understanding? And this, and maybe for you uh, as well as me, when I, when I learn something like this, I think, well, I, I, I want godly understanding, but I also, I can't stop there, right? I, I want to know, practically speaking, how do I gain this? And so when I'm looking through the Proverbs, I thought, specifically, what does the Proverbs say on this topic? Um, I found three areas, uh, and I don't think I'm taking this too far, uh, I found three areas where God conveys His understanding. The first one's obvious. Proverbs 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Um, note here the way that the, the sage crafts this uh, verse. For the Lord gives wisdom. So God is the giver of wisdom. But then He inserts here from His mouth, which, which I understand to be a reference to God's Word. So God, from God's Word come knowledge and understanding. Uh, so what would be some, some ways in which we go to God's Word for understanding? What are some ways that we go to God's, or what are some things that we go to God's Word for understanding? So, for I'll give you an example where not to go there. Um, my lawnmower is not working, um, and I know that I don't want to take it and have it fixed. I can fix it, right? And so I go to God's Word because it is truth. And it is inspired and it is inerrant. And doggone it, I have yet to find anything about my lawnmower in God's Word. And you would say, well, dummy, that's not what is meant by God's Word being truth. It doesn't mean that God speaks on every single topic. 
You're not going to learn how to build a jet airplane in reading God's Word, right? But what am I going to learn? In other words, I'll repeat my question, what things do I go to gain understanding in God's Word? On what things? To know God's character. What is God like? If He's the Creator, if He is the one who has planned and created, the, established the processes by which everything in the world uh, functions, I want, to, I want to know that He's not like the Greek gods of mythology. I want to know what He's like, so to know His character, I'm expanding on that, of course, to, to know His attributes. What else? Okay, in our reading, we, we, we need the, the help of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's good. But what topics are we going to? Yeah, Paula. That's it. That, that, all of that is great points. Each of those, note that the sage is pointing those out to us to say that you're going to find this in God's Word. If you want to understand what the biblical understanding of justice is, go to God's Word. If you want to understand the biblical understanding of equity, go to God's Word. If you want to understand the biblical understanding of wisdom, go to God's Word. Those are excellent. What else? How to live a godly life, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, how to live in, in godliness, that's right. I mean, what does that mean? You say, well, you're talking to an unbeliever and you say, well, I, I just seek to, to live a godly life. And they're like, well, what, what, what's that mean? Like you pay your taxes and you don't kill people? I mean, what does, that, what does that mean? Well, you go to God's Word to see what that, that means. Another area uh, that our confession and catechism brings out is that uh, there is no means to a knowledge of saving faith apart from the Word of God. It's only revealed by God's design. It is only revealed in God's Word. It may be manifested later in other ways, but its root is always the Word of, of God uh, to know how that we may be saved. What else? Okay, how to respond to our enemies. In fact, we've already seen that several times in the Proverbs, haven't we? A very practical way. And one, actually, we, you may recall when we studied that topic, uh, there were a myriad of different ways, and it based, was based on context, right? Uh, and so we go to God's Word to know how to deal with those who are our enemies. So the point is, and I think now I've got you thinking about this, the point is, is that there are very specific things that we go to God's Word and in doing that, we gain understanding. We better understand by virtue of God's Word uh, how, <laughs> what we are rightly to, to understand. And let me also, before I move to the second topic, let me also uh, add on this, is that that also means that we need to be guarded when we're seeking to understand those same things by going and trying to find them in the world. 
Um, that's, not to be, that's not to say that there's not truth outside of, of God's Word. There is. All truth is God's truth. Uh, and, and we can glean great wisdom. In fact, another thing that surprised me uh, when I first read Calvin's Institutes was not only the, his repeated use of the mystery, uh, but his repeated quoting of pagan pre-Christian philosophers. But it's always perfect. He always uses them to show God's, all truth is God's truth, and he'll weave that in to show how God's truth is seen, even in sometimes the most unlikely of, of sources. Uh, but we must be guarded, right? And so we must go to God's Word to confirm what is truth. In other words, if the world tells us, well, this is the definition of love, which, which they do. I'm, we're all hearing this a lot right now. I'm being told uh, by other Christians, well, you know what? We just need to let love be love. Literally, that was a quote I received. We just need to let love be love. And you can imagine what it was in defense of. And my response was, I'm not sure your definition and the Bible's definition are the same thing. I think you're defining love based on pop culture. Let's look at what God's Word defines love as. And so those are important distinctions. Number two, we gain, God conveys understanding through the wise. God conveys understanding through the wise. Proverbs 5.1 My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Um, you may recall that scholars believe uh, that or argue that the Proverbs were originally uh, written for the young men of the kingdom to train them up in godliness. And so this may not simply be Solomon speaking to his uh, son, uh, but it very well could be a teacher, a wise teacher speaking to his pupil. Whatever the case is, whether literal or figurative, my son, it is the wise person who is telling the younger person, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Also, uh, scholars say that this could also be, and this is where I lean, that this could also be a figurative reference to wisdom itself. Uh, we go to God's wisdom to gain wisdom, to be attentive to it, and to incline one's ear is to what? And that is a, it's a brilliant poetic picture, right? To incline one's ear. Can your ear incline? Now, if some of you tell me you can wiggle your ears, eh, you're just moving your face a little bit, right? Wiggle your ears. You can't incline your ear, but it's a figurative expression meaning what? Listen, that's right. Yeah, listen, but I mean really listen. Don't just hear it, but listen. To incline one's ears to listen to the understanding of the wise or the understanding of wisdom. Uh, I think I had another verse. Yeah, Proverbs ten thirteen. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. Um, don't you wish, right? Uh, but the first part of that, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. Note how the sage joins wisdom and understanding here. This is, this is fascinating. So first of all, understand the figuratism. figuratism. What does on the lips mean? The words that are used that speak, that 
That's right. Yeah, and, and, and also it conveys the idea that it, it could be, they could be speaking in that moment or they have the ability to speak. So it, it could also be a veiled reference to teaching someone who, who would convey uh, uh, wisdom. So on the lips, through the speech or the ability to teach you something, on the lips of him who has understanding, so on, on the, the one who is to speak that you trust, as they are a wise person, a godly person, and they have this understanding, if we think about that as we understood it in the very beginning, they understand how God's economy works, they understand the way of wisdom within God's creation, what is found on their lips, what's found in their speech, in their teaching. Wisdom itself. In other words, what the sage is doing here is he's teaching, and we're going to, we're going to elaborate on this more in the coming weeks, um, but what he's saying here is that wisdom and understanding are like hand and glove. You're going to see them combined. They work together. They don't work separated from each other. You can't say, well, that person is a very wise person, but wow, they have no understanding. That's not how the sage teaches it. That's not how the Proverbs convey it to us. We see in the Proverbs that they're always hand in glove. They always, without exception, if you find an exception, you be sure and email me and point it out to me. I've yet to find an example where they don't fit together always together. So on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. And then, of course, the converse of that is the one who lacks sense. Uh, This is somebody who is not uh, discerning, certainly not wise, and they're due the just punishment they receive. Number three, life. God conveys understanding through life. And I almost passed through this when I was putting this study together until I read this verse. Does not wisdom call? Question. Does not understanding raise her voice? If you go through the rest of that proverb, and I'm not going to, but if you go through the rest of Proverbs 8, we see example after example of life experiences. And sometimes we look back and there can be something that we learned but did not internalize. There can be something that our parents taught us but we didn't receive. There can be something that we know, but we don't really know it until we've lived it, right? And in all of those different examples, sometimes understanding just comes through living life. It's the reason why, and again, I know that this, not worried about you guys in here, but I I know this is a foreign uh, argument in the culture in which we live, where youth is elevated and the uh, an age is uh, undervalued. Uh, I realize that, but in the Proverbs, we see it time and time again, right? Is there is great value given in age and youth. Well, how do we handle... Uh, well, I'm not going to go into that. But anyway, we see over and over again where that's the case. Well, this is, this is one of the things that uh, we see through chapter 8 is wisdom does call, but oftentimes we've got to be living life before we finally hear the call of wisdom. Understanding raises her voice. Note the anthropomorphic uh, 
use of this this personified understanding. She's a, a woman because women are just wise, right? Um, that was also a joke, but I was supposed to get like a laugh or an amen or something. Uh, but uh, that those are the those are the areas that I want to draw out to you. Where where did I I leave us on our handout? Did we end there? Okay. All right, so we're going to end there uh, because the next section that we're going to go into, I'm going to ask the question, how do we gain understanding? If those are the sources, if God's Word, the wise, and life are how understanding is conveyed, how do we personally gain understanding? And we're going to dive into that next week because the Proverbs, um, when, I went, uh, when I went looking to this question within the Proverbs, it was like, I've told you before, there are certain topics that the Proverbs, it, they just are quiet on. And then there are other topics where it's like, wow, I could just write down tons of it. This is one of them. How do we gain understanding? Get ready. The Proverbs is going to open both barrels of the shotgun for us and teach us a lot. So we'll do that. We'll look at that next week. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you that you are the giver of wisdom, uh, not we. That you are the giver of understanding, not that we can go out and gain understanding apart from you giving it. And so we pray that we would be a people who are students of your word, that we would listen to wisdom, and that in life we would seek to be directed by your word and the wisdom that you give, that we may gain understanding. O oh God, we are a people who often look to our own understanding rather than trust you. We pray that as your, Lord, as your word speaks to us, that your spirit would convict us and open our eyes to areas in our life where we need more and more to trust in you with all our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.